When you're preaching a sermon series on the book of Acts, you sometimes bump into passages of Scripture that you would like to just ignore, move past. Not today. Hang on from Acts, the fifth chapter, the first 11 verses of this chapter. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard of it. And the young men came and wrapped up his body and then carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, Tell me whether or not you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and died. And the young men came in and found her dead, so they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church. And all who heard these things, as uncomfortable as that made us, it is still the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, indeed, Paul said it in a couple of places, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is sort of the New Testament theme that if your lips say it, your life needs to live it. It is indeed the idea behind the word integrity. Integrity means good and honest, but it means that what you do in word or what you say, you also ought to live. A person of integrity won't steal or lie. They won't generally tell you one thing and do another. And it takes our understanding a bit further when we understand that the word integrity is related to the word integrate. Both come from the Latin word intragras, which means soundness, wholeness, or entire. The army of ancient Rome used this word almost daily in its inspection ritual. A commander would walk the line of legionnaires inspecting each man to confirm that that man was fit for duty. 
As the commander came before one of his men, the soldier would sweep his fist hard into the middle of his chest, just over his heart, and shout, Integrigas! The commander first listened for the rich, full quality of a healthy soldier's voice, and then he listened for the clang of that well-kept armor, the clang it would emit when it was struck. The two sounds, the man's voice and the condition of his armor, confirmed the integrity of the soldier, the words, and the act. The church in the first chapters of the book of Acts is a church we long for and a church we would love to recreate and be a part of it. It was a church filled with repentance, regeneration, revival, and rejoicing. Great things were going on in the first chapters of the book of Acts. There in the second chapter, the end of the second chapter, it says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all who had need. And I remember in seminary, we came to this passage of scripture as we were exegeting the book of Acts and the seminary professor, when he read that verse said, it won't last. And indeed, that economic system where everybody in the church sold all of their possessions and all members of the church participated in that economic system broke down in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts when Ananias and Sapphira show that sometimes human greed is present. And indeed, with those two, was prevalent. And the scripture tells us that Satan showed up and convinced the two of them to lie to the Holy Spirit. In Hebrew, the word Satan is pronounced hasatan, and it is a noun that means the adversary or the accuser. And in the book of Job, Hasatan shows up as God is dealing with the heavenly court. And God says to the Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He's a righteous man. And the devil says, yeah, he's righteous. He's got all these kids. He's got all this land. He's got all this good stuff. Take that away from him and see what happens. And God does. And Job loses a lot. But Job doesn't lose his health, and he continues, he continues to bless the name of the Lord. And so Satan comes back, and God said, look, my servant Job. And Satan says, yeah, take away his physical health and see what he does. See if he persists in his integrity. And the book of Job then becomes a discussion of, yes, human suffering and yes, human pain, but the character of Job insists on his integrity. Job's wife says, Job, honey, just curse God and die. And then she asks, are you still persisting in your integrity? When Job's friends come up to comfort him, as it was. 
Job Job says to them, far be it from me that what you say is right. Until I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. Job is going to hang on to his integrity to the end. And he even tells God, let me be weighed in a just balance. And, oh, God, know my integrity. So Job, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of heartache, was acting out of his integrity. He was acting out of his consistency of word and deed, lips and life. Well, Satan shows up in other times to test other people. Jesus is baptized in the River Jordan, and he comes out of the water, and the Spirit of God descends upon him, and the voice from heaven says, My son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately, Jesus is driven out into the wilderness to have his integrity tested. Satan says to Jesus, Since you are the Son of God, It's not a question of whether Jesus is the Son of God. It's what kind of son is Jesus going to be? Is he going to act out of integrity? And the devil lays before Jesus three temptations to turn the stones into bread, to jump off the pinnacle of the temple, or to secretly bow down before Satan. All three. All three. Designed to test the integrity of Jesus as he has come proclaiming the love of God to the least the last and the lost he will not be one who just feeds the hungry he will not be one who does tricks he will not be one who secretly bows down to Satan in order to not involve the cross in the conversation And Jesus pretty strongly talks about hypocrisy, but he says it's the religious people that suffer from it. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you lock people out of the kingdom of heaven, for you do not go in yourselves, and when others go in, you stop them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross the sea and the land to make a single convert, and you make a new convert twice as much a child of hell as you yourselves are. Jesus condemns a hypocrisy that says one thing, And does another. My thesis is that hypocrisy shows up among Christians when we're on top of our game. When things are going well. When blessings are abounding. What has just happened in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts is we're told in the last verse of that chapter that there's a Levite and his name is Barnabas. And we're going to hear about Barnabas later on. But Barnabas sold a field that belonged to him. And he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And we know that this was an influential, sacrificial gift because Barnabas becomes a leader in the early church. And Ananias and Sapphira saw it. And they thought... We want to get a little of that acclaim. 
We want some attaboys. We want to be leaders in the church, and it appears as though to do that, you have to give a gift. And Ananias thought, you know, I've got this piece of property, and I'm not really using the piece of property. I'm going to sell the property, and I'm going to give the gift of the land or the proceeds of the land of the church. And they're going to say good things like they did about Barnabas. And so they make the sale. And I can almost hear Ananias and Sapphira later on that night. She starts looking and says, well, you know, Ananias, it was great you sold the property for that much money, but but we got two kids about to go into college, man. We got expenses coming out. Do you see it? And then Ananias counters back to Sapphira. Sapphira, baby, I've been looking at this this three-pontoon party barge. It's got a Yamaha 250 on it. It's a smooth, we'd, we'd look really good on the Sea of Galilee on that party barge. You know what? Let's do this. Let's give the money to the, the church. It's a big gift, hon. It's a really big, it's as big as Barnabas's gift. But we'll hold back what we've talked about. Nobody's going to know. The Holy Spirit knew. Simon Peter found out. The church found out. And Ananias and Sapphira are punished almost immediately because their words and their deeds weren't congruent. They didn't match. And a whole economic system that the church was practicing to that point completely fell apart because of human greed and human sinfulness. And my suggestion is that you can always tell when a church is on top and you can sometimes tell when you're on top because the devil, the Satan, will show up and start shish you, not in your weak points, but in your strong points, in your strengths. And we worry about Ananias. How could God strike Ananias and Sapphira dead? It doesn't say that God did that. It's just one of those troublesome texts in the Bible that we have to grapple with and we have to wonder about what does this mean and what is God telling me? And you know, this isn't the first time it happened in the church. Paul, in writing the church at Corinth, says these uncomfortable words in a similar vein. This will get us ready for communion next week. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only eat the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, Paul says, many of you are weak and ill and some have died. 
But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Harsh words. But we Methodists took them seriously. Do you remember the prayer in the communion ritual, the prayer of humble access? We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. What? We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. What was that about? That was preparing our hearts to meet the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who died for us at Calvary at the table of the Lord. It was about making sure that our words of faith, our words of belief, were followed with deeds of love and action and care. So three things I want to say quickly about this. First of all, remember how you've been disappointed by people in the church. And just know that you too have disappointed people in the church. That's why we pray that segment of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yes, when hypocrisy pops up its ugly head, our response is to offer forgiveness and grace. Second, for all the hypocrisy in the church, I've met a whole lot more faithfulness in the church. There are more people living out their faith. There are more people who have their lips and their life in alignment. There are more people that have the word and the deed in alignment than there are those that we might label hypocrites. Third, Jesus Christ is the core and the essence of the church. Jesus Christ is the core and the essence of our faith. I had a man whose daughter was struggling with all kinds of of issues and her life was just falling apart. And he came to me one day and he was just absolutely in tears talking about a daughter whose life had fallen apart. And he said something so apropos. He said, every Sunday I brought my daughter to church. But I never brought her to Christ. There is a difference. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about our faith in Christ. It's about our lining our lives in integrity with the life and the example of Christ. Hypocrisy is out there. Sometimes it's just good old-fashioned sin that we need to confess, ask forgiveness for, and move on from. 
The insidious kind is that when we pretend to be something we are not, and we get caught acting, and in that pretense. Back in the late 90s, and it may not have been so much in the late 90s, I'm going to make it in the early 90s because the Lasky Lectures brought to Ruston, Louisiana, a radical named Will Campbell. Will Campbell was a Baptist pastor and he was a civil rights activist and Will Campbell died in 2013. He was known for his love for the poor, for putting his faith into action, even when it required great sacrifice personally or professionally. One Sunday, Will Campbell had been invited to preach at the Duke University Chapel. But an ice storm blanketed that part of North Carolina the previous night. But plenty of people showed up on Sunday morning to hear Will Campbell preach at the Duke Chapel. Instead of an inspiring and learned sermon, Will Campbell walked into the pulpit and said, Had an ice storm last night. Lots of trees are down. Lots of poor people in town. Electricity is off, and they got no heat. I got my pickup outside, my chainsaw, and my wood axe, and I'm going to cut some firewood for those trees to help those poor people. Who's going with me? And he stepped down from the pulpit, and he walked out the back doors of the church. And he left a bunch of mystified people sitting in the pews. Did anybody follow him down the aisle? Will Campbell just didn't honor God with his lips. He honored God with his life. When it came time to preach a sermon that would honor God, he preached through his actions, not his words. He loved God with everything in him, and he loved his neighbor as he loved himself. I guess you could say what we have in common is we're all hypocrites. And Jesus knew we would be. But he loves us too much to leave us in our hypocrisy. He knew that our half-hearted, insincere faith poisons our relationship with God and drives other people from the life-transforming truth of Jesus Christ. And what is the source of our hypocrisy? Honoring God with our lips. But not our lives. What is the cure for our hypocrisy? Loving God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And saying to the world, in Jesus' name, we are not perfect, but we are forgiven. And it is only when the testimony of our lips And the actions of our lives come together in integrity that the unbelieving world may start believing in a person the church proclaims is full of grace and truth. Oh Lord, help us build a life that's filled with your love and activated 
through integrity. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, forgive us for sometimes we just step in it. We don't mean to, but yet we do. And we find ourselves being inconsistent. And we find ourselves being less than that which you called us to be and created us to be. For those moments, forgive us, dear God. And help us live lives that are filled with the integrity that comes from walking and abiding with Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.